very simply, Paul wants the Corinthians, and God wants us here, to be actively, day by day, week by week, living out the gospel. Very good morning to you. Great to see you all this morning. As we said last week, whether it's your uh, first week, whether you've been here for many, many years, it is great for us to, to gather uh, as the church uh, each and every Friday. Uh, and as last week, we were talking about making decisions. Uh, this week, we're rolling right through uh, Second Corinthians, and we're going to talk about relationships. And there's a point uh, in all relationships, no matter who, who, you, who we're talking about, what kind of context, there's a point in all relationships when they change in some way, isn't there? Let's not do this every week. There is a point in relationships where, cha- where they change, isn't there? Question mark. Yeah. yeah, there is. Good. So we're, okay, good. Think, what's that? Okay, well, last week, that was, they were just streets ahead of, yeah. They can. And this is the week, is it? All right, good. Well, that's a bold claim to make at 20 past 10. And we'll see how it goes for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Very good. Uh, <laughs> so think about kids in kids' church or your kids, any kids. The way that we interact with them is constantly changing as they're growing up. Uh, there are a lot of constants in that relationship, a parent and child. But there's also lots of change. Think about a newly wedded uh, husband and wife a couple that have been married 10 years, a couple that have been married 40 years. They all share the same marital relationship, but over time, it, it will have changed. Specifically in this text, uh, and I know that, that, that it's true for lots of you, how many teachers, school teachers are here? It's all right, it's not a shameful profession. You can put your hand up. Before I was full-time at church, I was a school teacher. It's fine. It's good. All right, good. There's a few teachers. Uh, there's a point in the student-teacher relationship where it changes and you become surplus to requirements if you've done your job well. You've taught them the skills, uh, imparted the knowledge, and now it's over to them to uh, evidence that, to demonstrate that, and then they'll leave your class and they go on and learn some new stuff. And if you've been nice enough, they will come back to say hi uh, and whatnot. But if you, and if they don't come back to say hi, you can take that as a point for improvement for future classes, but uh, there is a point in that relationship where you've imparted to them the skills and knowledge that they need, and your role as the teacher then changes. You're no, you're no longer uh, primarily instructing and imparting new knowledge. You're there as a coach. Now you've got it. Let's see you use it. Uh, and the same is very, very true here for Paul and the Corinthians uh, in their relationship and with some relationships within the church as well. Uh, and as we said, we're building straight from last week. And if you weren't with us, if you've not watched it or listened to it in the meantime, we were talking about making decisions uh, with our Christian conscience. And Paul had said, look, I'll come to you. It's going to be great. Uh, and then he says, actually, I can't come. Uh, God had redirected that decision uh, and that plan as he has uh, liberty to do uh, as God. Uh, So we're going to see today, we're going to move through this next piece of the text and we're going to see his reason, Paul's reason for not going, why God kind of redirected those plans. Uh, We're going to see his reason for not going, his reason for writing, why he still needed to get in touch with them. And then 
most importantly, and where we'll spend most of our time this morning, is we're going to talk about Paul's heart uh, for the Corinthians uh, and in all of this. And it's there that we'll spend most time, and then we're going to take away the biggest, hopefully the biggest thing for ourselves. But the first thing we're going to cover is Paul's reason for not going, which is at the very, very end of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. If you've not done so already uh, on, in your Bibles, on your phones, however you're reading the Word, uh, please do join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 at the very, very end, verse 23. says, Now I appeal to God as my witness that to spare you I didn't come to Corinth again. Uh, I do not mean that we rule over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, because by faith you stand firm. So his reason for not going, he says, he says very, very simply, with God as my witness, I'm going to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but, uh, it's for your benefit. It was, it, was, it was for the Corinthians' benefit that he didn't go. Paul planned to go. He sincerely wanted to go. He made the plans, decided to go. God spoke into that plan and said, yet yeah, uh, not. Not yet, Paul. Uh, and again, if we cast our mind back a few weeks to the opening of this letter, his, his focus straight away in, in, in writing to them was other people. We talked about uh, General Booth of the Salvation Army, others. Paul's not coming here for the benefit of others. He might have wanted to go, but it wasn't so good for other people. And he says, look, you know, I'm not, it's not that I'm ruling over you totally. I'm going to decide what is good for you and what is not. But it's probably better for me not to come right now. Keep your joy and your faith strong. He kind of knew what was going to be said uh, if he went there. And so his Paul's focus, God's heart, was on the good, the overall good of the Corinthians. So he's not going to go in person just yet, but he still needs to share something uh, with them. And so as we roll over seamlessly into chapter 2, we see his reason for still getting in touch. So we'll keep reading. So I'm not going to come. It's good for you. Uh, so I made up my own mind not to pay you another painful visit. For if I make you sad, who would be left to make me glad but the one I caused to be sad? And I wrote this very thing to you, so that when I came, I would not have sadness from those who ought to make me rejoice since I'm confident in you all that my joy would be yours. For out of great distress and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not to make you sad, but to let you know the love that I have especially for you. So again, he's bringing up here the mutually beneficial relationship that he has with them, between Paul and the Corinthians, between, as we said, that teacher and the student, the parent and the child, the pastor and the people. And as we talked about last week, he used that as an example. You all understand how this works. So if, even if I really want to do something, but it's not good for you all, we're not going to do it just yet because I care about the people, he's saying. So it's like I'm not coming to you in person just yet because... I've got some stuff that you need to know, and it's going to make you really sad. And if you're sad, that's going to make me sad. And then how do we comfort one another, as he's talked about at the start of the letter? And it's like that old saying of one drowning person cannot save another drowning person. Paul is saying, look, if we're both sad, who's going to pass on the comfort? And I really like what Warren Wiersbe wrote. He said, Paul wanted to give them time to get things right amongst themselves, then he was going to visit them. And so that their fellowship, their in-person gatherings, when Paul was present for this, 
it would all be joyful because he really wanted to spend time with them in a very positive way. And so instead, he wrote them a letter so that their in-person get-togethers can stay really positive. But, he says there in verse 4, this was a really difficult thing to write. It was written with anguish and tears. And more literally, he, would have, he, was, he was writing there, I wrote this with tears. Not with a pen, but he wrote this with his tears. And um, writing things down, communicating with people in, in writing, isn't an easy way out. We need to accept that. Uh, we should give our written communication the same time and consideration, probably more so uh, than our face-to-face communication. It's not the easy way out. There's something difficult that I need to say, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to fire off an email, boom, done. Easy, avoided that confrontation. Because when we choose to write about it and not speak about it face-to-face, we lose a huge, well, we lose all nonverbal communication. We lose a huge amount of the personal connection because it's just words on a screen or a parchment. And uh, as soon as you hit send, even if you've written the best angry email in the world and it's so polite and you've used all your British politeness to convey your uh, annoyance, Uh, even if you intend a warm, caring angry email, it's entirely up to your reader to get that from your words and you're not in control of that. And if they don't get that, if they read that and don't pick up (laughs) your tone, all the friendliness that you put into your writing, then we're in trouble. So writing, emailing, texting is not an easy way out. Uh, and I can't, I can't tell you, or shouldn't tell you, how many times <laughs> this has happened uh, for me. An email comes through, a text arrives, and you can, kind, you can kind of see, maybe, the intent behind it. But it's so covered in harsh words and the appearance of critique that that's what we focus on. The perceived attack, not the probably intended goodness of this written communication. And the same goes for when we're sending and when we're, we're not on the receiving. And if there's any chance of you being misunderstood, then my counsel to you from Scripture, I love the end of Second and Third John, I've got loads to say to you, but some stuff's too important to not say it face-to-face. Uh, so <laughs> counsel from Scripture and from personal experience would be just don't do it. <laughs> if you absolutely cannot have that conversation in real life, face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth, as Paul says. Uh, Sure, you can go ahead and and write. But be as clear as you possibly can. Spell it out. Stuff that you might think is just obvious, you you need to write. And so I really appreciate that Paul says, look, I'm writing to you to let you know the love that I have for you communicating difficult truths to people in our community, which is what Paul's doing here, should be done from a place like this. Now, maybe you've got such a great relationship with the person that you're uh, sharing with that you don't need to say, look, I'm going to let you know the truth in love. I really care about you. That's why I'm going to share this with you. Maybe you've got such a great relationship that that doesn't need saying. Most of the time, uh, it's, it's worth taking the extra five seconds and saying this is the reason 
for us getting together. This is the reason why I'm writing to you. This is the reason why I want to talk to you, because I really care about you, and I want what is best for you. And if we don't have that relationship with someone, where they know beyond all doubt that what you are saying is coming from a place of love, then really we've, we shouldn't be sharing hard truths with one another. Because if, if, if it's not being received, kind of wrapped up in the knowledge that we care about one another, we love one another, it's probably not going to be uh, received very well, uh, if at all. So please, 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 if there's something on your mind or your heart to share with somebody, cultivate that relationship first. Don't just jump in like, hey, I've noticed some stuff about you. Let me tell you some, some stuff about yourself. It's not very nice. They, they, don't, they don't know. It's probably not going to be received at all. Uh, almost certainly not very well. And uh, by way of a quick example, I want to share with you something that happened to me a few years ago. Uh, and it was up until this point, it was a really good example of, of church in action. Uh, so a friend of a friend had some uh, personal issues that they wanted to talk about, and they wanted some, some real uh, biblical, scriptural, what's the Christian stance on my problem? And the implication was that that's how I'm going to proceed in this problem. And friend of friend asked friend. And then friend told friend of friend, well, we've come to church. And we've, you know, there's people you can talk to about that. And this developed and we made an appointment with friend of friend to talk about the things going on uh, in their life. And had rearranged some stuff. I was going to get home later. All right, you pick up the boys. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to go. You know, we made, made arrangements. This was a, we're taking this really seriously because it's a great example of, I have a problem. Let's look at the Bible together. And then about, that happened about 10 minutes before I was supposed to meet this uh, person. Somebody's phone, uh, my phone went, and uh, it was friend of friend saying, look, sorry, I just can't make it. I've got these really serious personal problems, uh, but I'm just not coming. Oh, well, why not? And you know what he said? They said, could be a man, could be a lady. They said, uh, well, I can't come meet you because uh, I'm going to buy a new TV. Uh, well, what? What do you mean? You've asked your friend who's passed your concern to me. We're going to look at the Bible together and see what God says about this. And now you're not coming because you're going to uh, leave and pick up a, a, a giant TV, something like this. It's like, yeah, well, it was uh, it's 75 inches. I hope your TV is going to keep you uh, keep you company in the evening <laughs> when these problems come to fruition, and that's the TV is going to all you have for comfort. And the <laughs> the point there is like, look, he he or she uh, wasn't willing to take from me. Look, your relationship is more important than a TV. Leave your stupid TV alone. Let's have the coffee that we'd planned, and let's talk about the problems that we've got. But that, that just fell on deaf ears because friend of my friend, he and I, they and I, uh, didn't have this kind of relationship where we can be straight up with one another and say, look, your relationships are more important than a large TV. Your TV is going to be in the shop tomorrow. 
the relationships that you're ruining with these poor choices might not be. So we should get together. We should talk about it. But no, that didn't happen because we didn't have that relationship where I could share very truthfully and honestly what's going on. So, having seen Paul's reason for not going to Corinth, and then he, having shared his reason for writing to them to reaffirm his care and love for them, even in the midst of very uh, difficult truths, we come now to his heart in all of this. Uh, so let's keep reading from verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, If anyone has caused sadness, he has not saddened me alone, but to some extent, not to exaggerate, he has saddened all of you as well. This punishment on such an individual by the majority is enough for him, so that now instead you should rather forgive and comfort him. This will keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive grief to the point of despair. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For this reason, also, I wrote to you to test you to see if you're obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone for anything, I also forgive him. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if, if I've forgiven anything, I did so for you in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be exploited by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. And it's in this passage, it's in this little paragraph, that we see the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians changing. Or at least from our perspective of, of reading his letter to them, it looks like, much like the students and the teachers, he's trying to have them now take ownership of what he's taught them and to really put it into practice. So he's been there, he's taught them, he's written to them, he's visited them again, he's written to them again. And now, it seems, he's urging them to really take what he has taught them and for them to go and to put it into practice, even when he is not there. Just like the relationship changes with your kids, the, the student and the teacher. You want them to be able to do stuff even when you're not looking over their shoulder, making sure they're doing it right. And in verse 5, he says, Look, so, if someone has sinned against me, Individually, personally, me, Paul, really, it's against all of us. And as he says uh, elsewhere, when one suffers, we all do. And again, uh, from experience here in a church, that's absolutely right uh, from both sides of the coin. When this happens between other people and then uh, counsel is sought, as soon as you hear about the problems and the issues of people that you love and people that you care about, you feel the heaviness of it, don't you? Thank you. You do, don't you? When, when somebody you care about tells you their problems, you feel kind of you're bearing that burden with them, right? Oh, there we go. Good. And, um, and it's, the, it's the same the other way around. When... Uh, when we have been on the receiving end of conflict. As soon as you tell somebody, which is a great thing to do, don't try and bear it all by yourself. Uh, it's a, as soon as you tell somebody, you can see their face change. You can see the look in their eye. You can see them begin to bear that burden with you, which we're counseled to do. It's a great thing to do. But you can see it physically often. You can see it in them. They're, they're really bearing this with you. and It's a great sign that they care about you, but it, you see it. As soon as you confide in them, we start to bear the burden with them. So Paul here says, look, if anybody's caused sadness, if, if somebody's uh, annoyed, upset, sinned against Paul, just Paul, 
He says, really, uh, it's, it, it, it's now all of us as well. Uh, if someone has caused sadness, he's saddened all of you as well. And he's absolutely true uh, in that. And it's one of the, I think it's a problem with our sin that's probably not talked about enough. We often reference sin as uh, sin creates that distance between you and God that the, the sacrifice of Jesus covers so we can be restored. Uh, but one of the immediate, like here, and one of the interpersonal uh, effects of sin is that it's not just you that's affected by your sin. And it's this attitude of, well, if I've got beef with this person, it's just me and them. Nobody else is affected. It's so, it's so wrong. It's like you throw a stone in a pond and it's all the ripples. As soon as we've got issues with people, as soon as we've got problems with people, as soon as, like here, we've got somebody who's sinned and the whole community is feeling it. It's, there's a very heavy feeling around the place. Uh, no one else has been hurt by it. No, it's, that's absolutely not true. And as Paul says here, look, if, if somebody's sinned against me, really, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sadden everybody. And that's, that's, that works in all the different ways as well. And so this idea of, well, my sin is just between me and God, or my issue with this person is between me and them, uh, is, is never, ever, ever true, especially never, ever true in a church, where by biblical scriptural definition, we're, it's, a, it's a family. And uh, other places tells us we're one connected body part. Uh, no, we're all a body with many parts, uh, and we're stones in the same wall. So one person suffers, one person is sinned against, one person's not having a great time of it. It's going to start to weigh us all down because we're all so uh, connected. And there's a great old poem, maybe you know it, by a man called John Donne. Uh, I, I read part of it at every funeral that I've ever conducted. Uh, and he says that nobody, no man is an island. And the idea is that it's just really just paraphrasing what Paul says. Like, look, if somebody's sinned against me, it's going to hurt everybody. If somebody sins against you, it's going to hurt everybody because we're all so connected. And God knows this. Paul knew this. And so he's saying to the Corinthians, look, it's time now to move forward. It's time to change these interactions. It's time to change these relationships with the person that has sinned against me. He says, this punishment on such an individual by the majority is enough for him. So that now instead, you should forgive and comfort him. This will keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive grief to the point of despair. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. And in there, there is a wonderful kind of double example of relationships changing. It's Paul and the Corinthians. Okay, look, I've told you, I've taught you. Now you go and forgive and restore one another. And it's with this sinner and the rest of the community. And before we uh, kind of move on, who this man is and what he has done uh, is the subject of much uh, opinion. On the one hand, some people think that it's the man of 1 Corinthians 5 that we talked about uh, probably 18 months ago where this guy is in this really odd incestuous relationship with his father's wife and the community's like that's well, all good. We're just wel everybody's welcome here. And he's Paul spot really clearly about that. And on the other hand, some people think that it's uh, it's not him. It's somebody that's trying to discredit Paul. 
to his people. Uh, Somebody who is speaking poorly of Paul, behind Paul's back, certainly not to his face, who's trying to kind of insidiously, sneaky, sneaky, malign Paul, like speak poorly of him to other people, but when Paul is there in person, it's like, oh, Paul, we love you. You're so nice. And so when we look at the... When we look at the text, we look at the specific things that Paul wrote and that we read. Personally, I think the case is stronger for that second option. This is a person who has sinned against Paul, and he says, well, they sinned against Paul, but the ripples are being felt, because it's just like something that's festering in the corner, and now everybody's starting to be aware of this issue. And, uh, and Paul says, look, you know, if somebody's caused sadness, if there is... Uh, sin in the community. It's not just against me alone. It's we're all feeling it as well. So whoever it is and whatever they did, his point though is that the time for discipline has now passed. And there has, it seems from what we read, there has been fruit that's consistent with repentance. So we're not just asking, oh, I'm really sorry, Uh, please forgive me which is a good start in that forgiveness process that we talked about at the very, very end of last year. But it seems like, from what Paul writes, there is fruit consistent with repentance. This person has kind of evidenced, yeah, I am sorry, and I have turned away from that, and I am taking steps to uh, prevent me from doing that again. And so it is time to restore that person to right relationship with the community, to welcome them back into the community as the Lord welcomes us back when we repent of our sins and profess faith in Him. So why should they do this? Why why should they forgive somebody that's just a giant sinner? Paul says we're going to keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive grief to the point of despair. And so we all are not exploited by the schemes of of Satan? Why do they need reminding of the very, very uh, Christian idea of forgiveness and restoration? As we talked about in December, the two are not separated. Why? Well, I love what C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He said, we all agree that forgiveness is great. Forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Like, forgiveness is good, it's great, I'm a forgiven sinner. I'm restored to right relationship uh, vertically with God. Horizontally, I'm not that interested in forgiving other people, sinners in my life. But yeah, we all agree it's a beautiful idea until we have got to do something with it. So Paul, God speaking through Paul, is saying, look, you need to do this. If there is... Uh, if there is fruit consistent with repentance, if this person is genuinely, evidenceably sorry, you need to forgive them. That relationship needs to change, needs to develop. You need to restore them back to right relationship. And it's one thing talking about forgiveness, uh, knowing how it should work, understanding forgiveness. We had a, a really interesting... Um, losing all my teaching words, line, flow chart. We had a point-by-point point line in December, like we do this first, and then we do this, and then we do this, and then we're restored. So it's one thing knowing about uh, forgiveness. It's a completely different ball game to practice that because uh, it doesn't come very natural. It doesn't come naturally. 
to us. But to forgive and to comfort and to restore a repentant sinner is, is one of, of many, but it's a huge piece of evidence of the Holy Spirit working in a community because it is just who God is. Forgiveness and restoration. As we talked about at the start of this letter, it is so central to who he is. We read about the God of all comfort. And so this really is our uh, major message. This, the, uh, the biggest takeaway for us today is right here. That the backslider who turns back to God, the repentant sinner, the one who is asking for forgiveness, who has admitted I've let you down, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, I'm asking for forgiveness, producing fruit in accordance uh, with that. That person needs, uh, needs the backing of the support of the church and the people that are uh, the church. And they need to know it. They need to know that they are welcomed back, restored back, uh, to the community. Nobody who is genuinely, evidenceably repentant of their sin among us should be wondering if they are truly forgiven, if they're really accepted and welcomed here. Because yes, we all are. Because that's all of us, isn't it? Sinners who have accepted that we are sinners uh, and we're, we're doing our earthly best to produce that fruit of repentance. And we do need to know uh, that we belong here, that we have a community of like-minded people. And so bigger picture then here, we want to be doing together here, us, we want to be doing what is happening here. And very, very simply, Paul wants the Corinthians and God wants us here to be actively day by day, week by week, living out the gospel which is really what is happening here. Because if we think about it, the gospel, the good news of God in the person through the work of Jesus is the ultimate expression of a changed relationship. The forgiveness, the restoration, the then moving forward together in right relationship. And that is, that is absolute, that is the gospel message uh, in summary, isn't it? Repentant sinner seeks and finds forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration to right relationship. So, as Paul is urging the Corinthians for the repentant sinner in their community, as Jesus does for us by grace and through faith, it is time for us to uh, individually and uh, as a community as well, for us to change some of our relationships as well. It's time for us to be living out this truth uh, among one another that we uh, claim by saying that we're a Christian, that we, uh, we so enthusiastically state that my relationship with God is now changed. I'm forgiven, I'm restored. God looks at me uh, as, as righteous and justified. Our relationship has changed because of something that Jesus did for me. We so enthusiastically state that, and then we can be a little bit slower to practice that here 
as well. And on the other side of it, if we don't do that, if we're kind of stagnant in some of our relationships, we're going to fall into what Paul says, uh, describes here as the schemes of Satan, where the relationships start to break down. Uh, there's no real feeling of, of being together. There's no sense of when one suffers, all do. There's no joy of being together. There's no restoration. There's no forgiveness when we just turn into a bunch of people uh, sitting in the same room once a week. We're robbed of the joy of relationships. We're, we're robbed of the joy of, of changing relationships, of, 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 of all these different relationships that we have here with one another growing and changing uh, for the better. And if we, if we find ourselves kind of slow, kind of reticent to restore those people who are evidence in their repentance, we end up living in direct contradiction to the gospel itself. Which, you know, the wonderfully good news of God, that through your faith in Jesus, through your trust in His sacrifice and His faithfulness, the Father chooses to view you through that righteous lens that is Jesus. Life perfectly lived, uh, sacrifice perfectly given. If we're a bit slow, we don't really want to do it, we're just kind of happy with how things are, we don't really want to move forward in relationships, we... Uh, we stop, we, but we shouldn't stop there because by the power of his Holy Spirit, we are called to live out this gospel in our daily lives. And the first stop for that, first and foremost, it is here uh, among the saints, people who are claiming to view life and all these truths uh, the same as you. So the first stop to live this out is, is here, church, the gathering of the saints, where we practice forgiveness and restoration because we're a community of people who have been forgiven and restored because of that truth it's our it's now our responsibility to forgive and to restore to develop relationships with one another that just scream of the gospel and then the next stop is to take that out and to do that in all the different circles that you move uh, during the week and ultimately we're going to do all of this to the glory of God who has done the same for us through the person and the work of Jesus Amen Let's stand and let's pray together